The last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called The Parent Whisper. And it basically is uh, a few weeks ago, as we were preparing the series, I was watching a, one of my, uh, not necessarily a favorite show, it's just a show I watch occasionally on the National Geographic channel called The Dog Whisper. You may have seen that show. Um, interesting little show about a guy named Cesar Milan who has uh, become famous. He's been on all kinds of shows uh, uh, and all kind of primetime shows as well because he has this ability to uh, help dog owners to discipline or actually maintain control of their animals. And so he's become very famous because, because of that. And I was thinking as I was watching some of the things he was doing with dogs and how applicable some of the principles were uh, to, to the whole thing of parenting. Uh, some of the basic principles he's talking about. And so but kind of took take off from that series just to give us an idea. But, you know, the thing is, is that we don't have a parent whisperer around, a person who tells us exactly how to do it. It'd be great if, you know, when you came home from the hospital, you had somebody there who would tell you exactly how to deal with your child and how to be a parent and, and all those things. But it, it doesn't happen so often. Uh, it just simply we, we miss out on those areas. I was actually doing some research and uh, some research recently on the, on the internet as well in regard to the whole thing of uh, this whole thing of dog. I found it interesting that that in our world today that, uh, that the number of people that have dogs and also the people that some of the, the length they'll go to to get dogs. Uh, how many of you have a dog, by the way? Anybody here have a dog? This morning we're going to ask lots of questions. I'll keep you awake. You get to answer. Okay, you can put your hands down. Okay. Um, how many of you have, you have kids, but before you had kids, you had a dog? Okay. You know, that's good practice. Uh, it's probably good practice to have a dog and then to learn how to manage a dog. And then you could probably help you to learn to you know, manage a kid. Maybe, not necessarily, but at least, at least it's good practice. I found out recently a couple interesting facts about dogs. You know that you can, because of the cost of dogs now, that you can actually finance a dog? Yeah, you can. You can. There are places that will give you loans for dogs. You know, like I only have three payments left on Fido, you know. Um, the most bizarre thing I found, though, was that there's a site. There's actually some of these places in different locations. I don't know if it's in the Peoria area or not. But in some of the places in the United States, you can rent a dog. Did you know you can rent a dog? Yeah. You know, for those people who are too busy to have a dog full-time, you can simply rent a dog on weekends. Or you could rent a dog, you know, just one day. Or you can, you know, if you're on vacation and you just, you know, miss a dog, you just rent a dog. And uh, there was one story as a blog I was actually reading that was attached to one of the sites. I don't read a lot of blogs, but I, was, I found this interesting because it was talking, it was this blog about a guy who had tried this rent-a-dog thing, and he said you know, they were trying it to see if they really wanted the dog. And so what happened was on the blog he had written, that, well, we rented a dog today, and, and then some of his friends wrote back, well, how did it go? And he says, well, we took it back, had it a whole day. And he said, why did you take it back? And he said, well, he said, as soon as we got home, the dog uh, used the number one of my, my wife, you know, we use that term, number one, number two. I don't know if you understand that or not, but it's used in the bathroom, okay? And, uh, you know, did it on my wife. And within about 30 minutes, uh, when I picked the dog up, he did number two on me. So he said, I don't want a dog. I took the dog back. And I'm thinking, you know, I thought about that. And I'm going like, my kids did that to me. Your kids ever do that to you? You know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it just, that just happens. I didn't take them back. Uh, sometimes, you know, first few weeks we weren't sure, you know, just to be honest, <laughs> after no sleep and, and all that kind of thing. But the whole thing of, uh, you know, of, of parenting is not easy. A matter of fact, it's downright scary sometimes. 
We never feel prepared for it. I was watching, we don't watch a lot of TV, but we watch a few things. We DVR it and then watch it when we want to. And a couple of weeks ago, we were watching an episode of one of our shows that my wife and I watched together. Uh, it's our bonding time. And it's, it was called, um, it's called CSI New York. I don't know if you watched that or not. But a couple of weeks ago, we were watching that on DVR. And when I was watching that, the interesting thing about it, there was this little episode in there, about a, about a 45-second episode in there, where Lindsay, one of the girls on the show, I know this, the, the, all the characters, Lindsay was getting ready to have her baby, and she was walking through the hospital. And then one of the other girls, who's a, who's a, a, a police officer, her name is Bonacera, she was uh, walking through with her, and they were having a conversation about this whole thing of having a baby and parenting. And I thought it was interesting, so I thought I would show it to you this morning. Okay, let's watch this like 30 minute clip of CSI New York. No, it's 30 seconds, excuse me. Uh, they really think that I'm just gonna walk this baby right out of me? Why can't I be one of those women who just sneezes and before you can say, God bless you, she's had the baby? Think of what you'd miss out on. Reminding your child of all those long, painful hours of labor that you endured to bring them into this world. I guess I could get some mileage out of that. Uh-huh. I'm kind of scared, Stella. That's normal, Lindsay. Just remember, you're healthy and strong. You and Danny went through all the courses. No, I don't mean about having a baby. About being a mom. I mean, what if I stink at it? And the worst part is I won't know until it's too late. She'll come home, she'll scream that she hates me. And then in rebellion, she'll get some part of her body pierced that's inappropriate. She'll get an infection. And she'll wind up on antibiotics, which we find out 12 years later, they cause an eating disorder. And pretty soon I'm in therapy trying to save my whole family. I mean, what if some people just aren't cut out to be parents? Well, the fact that you already thought about all this tells me that you're going to do just fine, Lindsay. I'm losing it, huh? Yeah. Oh, contraction. Delicious twin. Okay. I mean, I don't know if you feel that stressed out about being a parent, but, uh, you know, imagine all the bad things that could happen. And the thing is, you know, you don't know if it's, if it's going to, you're going to be any good at it till it's too late. You ever felt that? Sometimes it's the way it is. Well, we're trying to do some pro- proactive parenting guides for this series. Talk about what are some things the Bible has to say to us about this whole thing of parenting, uh, about how we could, uh, some principles that are there. We don't have a person like Cesar Milan who can take, you know, show up at our house and tell us how to be a parent. But God's Word has tons and tons of stuff that gives us principles on how to parent. And we began a couple of weeks ago talking about it. If you missed the last couple of weeks, you can go online at our website. And, and uh, we have it podcasted as well. You can listen to it. And uh, we encourage you to do that as well along the way, especially during the summer when some of you are in and out. Uh, that we'll have that opportunity all the time. But this morning, I want to talk about some things about parenting once again. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the goal of parenting. And I want you to listen to this and, and see if you agree with this as a goal of parenting. From the Bible, I believe the goal of parenting is this is that we, what we must do is to gradually transfer a child's dependence upon us as parents to dependence upon God. That we gradually transfer a child's dependence upon us. You know, when a baby is born, they're totally dependent upon us. That eventually as they grow, grow into the teen years, that we gradually transfer our dependence upon us to dependence upon God. So that when they leave the house, they leave the nest, what happens is, is they no longer depend upon us, even though we're influencers in their life forever, if we have the right kind of relationship. But they will look first to God 
for their guidance in their life. How many of you would agree that that is a good basic definition of parenting? Okay? Be careful what you raise your hand about today, okay? Because it may come back to bite you. Okay, we're going to talk about that today because, you know, I believe that's, that's my, I think, the biblical goal of parenting. That's the biblical goal of what we're to be. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this whole thing of parenting. And I was trying to think about how to shape this this morning. And I was reading in Jeremiah in the Old Testament a story about a young man who was probably only a child, an older child or a young teenager when this part of the story was written about him. If you have your Bibles this morning, you might want to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament about halfway through the Bible. On my Bible, it's about page 600 and something. I can't remember. Not that that helps you a whole lot. But um, 637, my Bible. But it's, it's a story about this young man, Jeremiah, who was to become a prophet. But early on, it's, it's just about his call from God. And, and in this story, we learn four things about this that's applicable to us, it's applicable to parenting. It's, 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 in a sense, what I entitled it was, what I would wish for my child. You know, if I could ask God for four wishes, big, better than a genie, genie only get three, right? You know, according to lore. And, and uh, four wishes from God, just four wishes, things that would happen in my child's life as they grow older. These would be the four things that I would hope for. And these are, I think they're also the four things that God hopes for all of us. Not just those who are parents, but every person in this room. This applies to your life. But as parents, this gives us kind of a guideline, a goal to reach that goal of parenting, of helping a child move from dependence upon us to dependence upon God. So this, let's talk about this this morning. The first one in Jeremiah chapter, four, uh, chapter 1 verse 4. The first wish is this. I wish that my child would clearly hear the voice of God. Because it says in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4, it said, this is, remember once again, this is to an older child or to a young teenager. We don't know exactly, but it says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah wrote this a few years later, but it it, it talked about the word of the Lord came to him saying, for some reason, even when he was an older child or young teenager, Jeremiah heard a word from God and understood it was from God. Now, the question is, how do we do that in our life? How do we clearly understand something? How do we recognize something that comes into our life? I'm going to give you a couple of principles, but first I'm going to illustrate it. How many of you like music? Anybody here like music? I love music. I listen to music all the time. I have an interesting playlist on my iTunes. You would go and, oh, this pastor, he listens to only Christian music. Where you're going to have a lesser opinion of me this, after this morning, after, after I play the music that, I'm, that I listen to. Not all the time, but I, listen, I was the other day, I was going through this, and I was uh, actually cleaning up my uh, playlist. And so I was going through songs that I had on my playlist, all about 4,000 of them. And, um, and uh, well, d- d- go see Nate. Nate has like t- 100,000 songs on his, I don't know, it's r- ridiculous or something, I don't know. But uh, some kind of ridiculous amount on his playlist. But I got songs I've been listening to for years, and I just imported them onto my playlist. You can do that. I don't mean I listen to them all the time, but they're on my playlist I could listen to. So I was going through some songs, and as I was going through them, I would just play just the intro to a song. How many of you can recognize certain songs that all you have to do is hear the intro? Yeah, there's some songs you listen to, Okay. Why is that true? Because you've heard it over and over and over. So this morning what I do is, is see if, how, if you guys are really in touch with, uh, with music. But some of you won't be in touch because this is my music. And most of this was stuff that I pulled off a playlist, what I used to listen to when I was coming out of high school and in college in the 70s. 
Okay, I got one song for those of you. It's a little bit more upbeat. We're just going to play the first intro. This is the this is the deal. When I play the intro to the song, we play the intro to the song. If you recognize the song, if you know what it is, raise your hand. Okay. As soon as you recognize it, I'm not going to play the whole song, just a little bit of it. Okay, raise your hand if you know what the song is and, and who it's by, either or, raise your hand. So, Greg, play the first one. Anybody know that song? 1972. Okay, who is that? No? No, it's called Without You by the Doobie Brothers. Anyone ever heard of the Doobie Brothers? My favorite, my favorite band of the 70s. Okay. Without you. Yes. Okay. Get your cigarette lighters out. Uh, <laughs> cell phones now. I forgot. Okay. That was back in the 70s. We used cigarette lighters. Okay. Okay. Uh, even if you didn't smoke, you had a cigarette lighter to go to concerts. Okay. And play the next one. This next one's a cheat because this is not the 70s. This is later. Okay. Who knows? Uh, Nate knows it already. That's ridiculous. What is it? Home by whom? Daughtry, okay. Uh, some of you know it as soon as you hear it. Okay, the rest of these are 70 songs. Okay, we'll see if you know. Some of them you may know, though. Okay, next song. Besides band members, okay. Nobody knows the song? Anybody know what it is? Average White Band. It's a song called Pick It Up to Pieces. Or Pick Up to Pieces, Okay. I, I knew that song as soon as I heard it on my playlist. Man, that's going like, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, listen. In the last service, even the young kids knew this one, even though it was a 70s song. Okay, play the next one. <laughs> what was that song? Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. Okay. Uh, really just a really deep band. Okay. Okay. Next one, real quick. Got two more. What's that? Foreigner. It's called Double Vision. Okay, Double Vision from Foreigner. Okay, one more. This is all on my playlist. This is appropriate for right now. What is it? School's Out by who did it? You know? Alice Cooper. Okay, yeah. A guy that wore weird makeup. Okay. And they're all on the pastor's playlist. Okay. You're going like, I don't know what that was. You recognize it, though, because you heard it over. I heard it over and over and over. Some of you have heard that song. School's Out has been around forever. This time of year, guess what? They play it forever. Everywhere you go, every year. They play it because we hear it over and over. The point is this, if you don't get it already. <laughs> if we really want to hear God's voice, if my wish for my kids is to hear God's voice, how do I get, help them to do that? Number one. Number one, I must get them in regard involved in Scripture. I must, I must spend time in Scripture. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. Where we hear God's voice more clearly than any place else in our culture and our society and where God wants to hear us to hear His voice is in Scripture. As parents, if we really wish them to hear God's voice, our children to hear God's voice, we must have a plan for helping our children to stay in Scripture. I shared a couple of weeks ago about how as our children were young, we had processes of, of teaching them Bible stories, even when they were really young. Sometimes acting them out if you had like kids like us who, our kids acted them out. You know, we thought about, I wish I'd have thought about this morning, Vicki. I'm sorry. We had this really cool video of Keith and our, our son Keith and our daughter Kara played David and Goliath. Keith was always David, you know, because he was a little guy. And Kara was older, five years older, and she was Goliath. And, she, and Keith always got to kill his sister. And, you know, 
If you know the story, it's biblical. And that's the way it was, you know, so it was really cool. But they understood that story. But, I mean, what it is is getting involved in Scripture. We must, if we really want to our children to hear the voice of God, first of all, we must spend time in Scripture. Is that, that's like, duh, huh? But if we don't do that, guess what's going to happen? They won't know what the voice of God sounds like. They won't know when God is speaking to them, you know, through Scripture or anything else. They'll be uh, scripturally illiterate. Another thing we must do if we want our children to clearly hear the voice of God is we must spend time in church. Now, you knew a pastor would say that, right? But the proof is, a few couple of weeks ago, I shared with you some percentages of how kids, uh, and, and Chris, I believe, shared these same, same uh, things last week, how kids are, uh, if kids have no influence about parents bringing them to church, they're, they're only 5% likely to go to church, 5 or 6% to go to church and be involved and have a relationship with God when they grow up. If a mom's involved in their life and takes them to church, just the mom, they'll have a 15, I think it was a 15% chance of going to church as an adult. And this is, says something about the spiritual leadership of a father. If the father was involved only in taking them to church, guess what, what the percentage was? It's like 50%. Huge percentage increase in regards to the spiritual influence. Mom, I'm not saying that you're putting that down, but it's, it's about both together. If both together were involved, it was even higher. About having a relationship, a, a relationship with God and spending time in church. Now, I understand. I've been talking to some of you guys, and some of you guys uh, have the same problems. Some of you had the same problems uh, like I did when I was growing up. When I was an older kid or young teenager, I had a drug problem. Yeah, I did. I, some of you and me both, you all had drug problems. I was drugged to church. I was drugged to church all the time. You know, I was drugged to church every time. And, you know, matter of fact, I was a good Southern Baptist. And good matter of fact, you went, to, you went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And even if there, if there was a possibility the doors would be open, we would be there. And I didn't have the advantage that you have nowadays. We have relevant environments where our kids, I mean, I can tell you story after story after story of kids who come out of our, uh, of Upstreet. And I've heard stories of parents who say they get up on Sunday mornings and sometimes they were kind of like slow getting ready. And so the kids would actually drag the parents to church. One of them, hey, I don't want to miss, you know, I don't want, I want to miss Upstreet. I didn't have those kind of relevant environments. That's why we believe they're so important to us now. And I want to tell you, our, our, our workers back in our, in our pre-K area, in our, in our upstreet area, where our K through fifth graders, they don't babysit kids. They have a plan for the kids' lives, and they work out through that. They work through that plan. And the kids back there are having fun. They're, they're involved. They're, they're learning God's word. It takes time in church. Now, let me tell you something, though. Let me stop a minute here and say something important. We as a church can only partner with you as parents in helping you raise your children. We said this before. Even if you're regularly involved in a church on a regular basis, we probably only have your kids on average 40 to 45 hours a year. But you as a parent have the potential of having your children influencing their lives over 3,000 hours a year. That's time not sleeping, time not in school. You have that much time in a given year. And if what we tell the kids here and what we have our plan for here, which is biblically based, does not match up with what's going on at home, guess what's good? who's going to win out? Not the church. 
And so we must, we must partner together, and we will do that. We, we send home things with our kids. You know, that's why last week uh, Chris talked about that we have a plan for our kids, three basic truths. With our teenagers, we have seven plus one strategy, seven, eight things that we're trying to teach them during the teen years that are hugely important. You need to grab a hold of those same things, and what you need to do is teach them to your kids on a regular basis. Because if we wish for our children to clearly hear the voice of God, we need to spend time in Scripture, time in church, and we need to partner together to make that work. Number two, if I could wish anything for my kids, I would wish that my child would find God's purpose. I wish that my child would find God's purpose for their lives. Jeremiah 1.5, after this young, uh, young boy uh, was... Uh, he heard the voice of God. Then it says in one five, before I formed you, God says, in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. All of us are different. Is that true? 6.5 billion people in the world and all of us are different. No two people are exactly alike. Let me give you an example of that. Remember I told you we're doing a lot of surveys this morning. You get to raise your hand. This is to keep you awake because it's a weekend, a lot of sun, a lot of eating, and you're tired. So I know I've got to keep you active, okay? So get ready to raise your hand again. How many of you, like, okay, how many of you, when you eat, you're the kind of person that on your plate, nothing can touch? Anybody like that? Okay, okay, some of you, okay. We'll pray for you. <laughs> how many of you eat one thing at a time? No matter, you know, it's like one thing at a time. You, you know, you eat this, all done, next thing, all done. Okay, okay. How many of you just throw everything together and eat it all at one time? You're all good Southerners. Okay? I think you call it goulash or something. You know, it's like you throw everything together, whatever you do. See, all of us are different. That's just a small thing. We're all different in different ways. We have different tastes, different things, whatever. The thing that's cool, cool here about this, and I think that's encouraging for us, should be encouraging, is that in Jeremiah's life, God says, I have a unique plan for your, for your life, Jeremiah. And guess what? God has a unique plan for every one of your lives. Every one of your lives, God has a unique plan for. Now, what does that mean in regard to parenting? You know, I wish my child would find God's purpose. I have found in in life there are two types of people that are miserable. (laughs) Miserable? Yeah. The number one is people who are totally in rebellion to God. People that are totally in rebellion to God, never listening to God, just push God away, are generally pretty miserable people. But I found another group of people who are almost equally as miserable. There are Christians who are not living according to God's plan, not living out God's plan for their lives. And because of that, they're trying to ride the fence and it doesn't work too well. And one of the things I wish for my children, and I hope that God, not only will they hear God's voice, but I also hope that they will find God's purpose for their lives. Because of that, there are two things, there are two things that we should never tell our kids that I hear people, parents, telling their kids all the time. Now, after I tell you this this morning, you can go and repent, okay? But these are two things that I hear parents tell their kids, and they're culturally correct, but they're biblically incorrect. The first thing we should never tell our kids is this. You can do anything. You can do anything. It's kind of like that Oprah moment you can have. I believe I can fly. You know, it's kind of like you have this glow, you know. And the thing about it is, is that that sounds really good. That sounds really good. But the thing is, it's unbiblical and it doesn't work at all. I mean, back in college, 
you know, I'll just give you an example from my own life. Back in college when I went to Carson Newman, which is a small NCAA Division II school in, in Tennessee, uh, I, back in high school I had to make a choice. And the choice was, do I have a car or do I play basketball? And I made the wrong choice. I decided to have a car. You know, so, but I played basketball with all my buds and all my rest of my buddies, some of them had cars, some of them didn't, but they all played basketball. I played with all, I played basketball. Some of my buddies were all on the basketball team. They were on the varsity team and I played with them all the time and I could play with them. Now that's not being prideful, even though it is, um, but I could, I could hang with the guys, you know? So, well, so I decided when I get to college, what I'm going to do is that, you know, small school couldn't be the boss, basketball team couldn't be that all good. So I just went over to the gym, worked out a lot, you know, was playing some ball over there. I thought, you know, I might try out for the, try out for the college team until one day when, and, and I'm six, three, you know, I'm, and I was skinnier in college and I could dunk the ball and, you know, sometimes. And and so I was, and I could shoot the ball. I was a pretty good basketball player. And the thing was, I went over there, except that one day these two guys that were on the varsity team at college, who weren't my buds, came over and they decided to play ball and asked if they, you know, join us in a pickup game. I'm just, sure, man, come on. So I, the first time, first, first time they do, I take a shot, you know, and I, and I, I make it in your face, dude. And, um, you know, give them, you know, give them a hard time. And then the next thing I know, this guy looks at me, this guy that's on the varsity, he's not any taller than I am. I didn't realize Carson Newman at that time were in, say, Division Two, and they had been in the top ten in the nation the year before. Um, but uh, this one guy, and I didn't know what this guy, I didn't, I didn't really know much about the team yet. And this one guy, he says, okay, he, said, he just kind of smiles, kind of a smirk on his face. Next time down the court, full court, he comes right at me. And I'm going, okay. And I go like this, you know. Get the he jumps over me. And slams the ball over top of me. I'm going like, I don't think I'm going to play on that team. I cannot do everything. I'm not good enough to play college ball. And especially since I didn't even play high school ball because I made the wrong, wrong choice. The thing is, is no, no matter what it is, we cannot do everything. That's just a lie, folks. Don't tell your kids you can do everything. Well, some of you will go like, well, what about that verse in Philippians 4.13? Well, it says this, it says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The problem with that verse out of context is this, is that we don't read Philippians 2.13. 2.13 says this, it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Then it says, Philippians 4.13, if you do his good purpose, if you know his plan for your life, if you follow his plan for your life, God says, I'll be there for you. I will help you through it. Doesn't mean you don't have bumps, but I can help you through it. It's wrong to say, it's, it's, it's a recipe for disaster to say, you can do anything to our kids. You want me to give you two words that prove that? That it's a recipe for disaster to say you can do anything and tell that to your kids as a parent? Two words, we'll prove it to you. American Idol. <laughs> Have you watched the first two weeks of American Idol first any times, ever? If you want to see the most bizarre things in the world... Their mama, mama has, mamas and dads have told their kids, you can do anything. And some of them believe it. And they go on American Idol and make a total fool of themselves in front of millions of people. I just, just challenge you. You can't do anything. That's the first thing we shouldn't tell our kids. The second thing we shouldn't tell our kids, if we want our kids to really uh, find God's purpose, is this. You should do my thing. You should do my thing. One of the things I have never told my kids, and my kids can tell you this, I've never said, you should be a pastor. 
I've never told them you should do that. I've never told them it should be anything. I said, you should find what you're good at and do it. What God has shaped you for and do it. Because you're t- My daughter, she just graduated from grad school at Bradley. And she's, uh, she's got a degree in, in family therapy. She's going to be a therapist. And, and, and you know, I, I wouldn't have known that years ago. I just saw that she, she, was, she was good at talking. <laughs> she's real good at that. But therapists are usually good at listening. But I found out later down the road she's really good at listening too. And she has an a, a, a understanding of that whole thing. She has a passion for it. For years, she's talked about how she loves kids and she wants to work with kids and help them through times. She has a passion for that and she's shaped for that. Now, my son Keith, he's sitting down here in front. Man, that's not what he's going to be. He doesn't have any desire for that, but whatever. But he's not going to be a pastor either unless God changes his mind somewhere down the road. And if that's fine, if he wants to, and I'll, you know, counsel him in regard to that. Um, Maybe my daughter will give him therapy. But the issue is... He, he has a total, since he was in the second grade, he said this, I want to, he's been just fascinated with money and how it works. And, and so he's a business finance major in college. He's gifted in math. He understands those things. He understands, he, he was reading, you know, finance magazine or something. One day he was in a doctor's office. I'm going, how many kids when they're in high school read that kind of thing? And, um, the thing is, is that you see, I, I want my kids to understand what God's purpose and plan for their life is. And I want them to follow that. I don't want them to do my thing because they're not me. They have some of my DNA. They have some of my wife's DNA. But they are not me. And your kids are not exactly like you are. So don't tell your kids. You know, I've heard too many parents say things like, well, I won't help you out with your college unless you do what I want you to do. I've heard that. I've heard other parents say, I've heard dads say this a lot, about when kids say they want to do something and it's not what they want them to do. They say, well, you won't make any money doing that. Well, it may be true, but if the kid really thought through it a long time, he'd probably look at the parent and say, well, you make lots of money and you're miserable. (laughs) Now, don't say that to your parents, okay? (laughs) But that's the, it's it's not about, it's, see, the thing is this. The question is, are they fulfilling, is our kids fulfilling God's plan for their lives? I want my kids to grow up hearing the voice of God and doing exactly what God says. I want to do God's thing. Now, the last two things, two wishes are very brief and to the point. The third thing that I I wish for my kids is this, is I wish that my child would never give up, never give up on God's plan. Jeremiah, remember once again, he was a teenager, maybe. Maybe he was an older child. And God had said to him, come to him and said, I have this plan, this purpose for your life. It's a really big plan and I want you to do it. What was Jeremiah's response in verse 6? He says, a sovereign Lord, I said, Jeremiah says, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. You know what God is saying to Jeremiah here and he's saying to us here? He's saying this. He says, if you're doing, if you hear the voice of God, if you find my purpose and your plan for your life, then I will help you through it. Do not give up because sometimes it's tough. Have you ever felt like giving up? I have, okay? You can raise your hand this morning. This is another question, okay? Even when you felt like you were on the right track, you were doing exactly what God wanted you to do, did you ever feel like giving up? Sure you did, because it's not always easy. But the issue is, as God says, he makes a promise in his word to Jeremiah, which he makes to us as well. He says, you know, he says, I don't want you to give up. 
I wish that my children, I hope my children, no matter how tough it gets, will never give up on the plan that God has for their lives. You know, this is where really where Philippians 4.13 should be applied. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's what God's talking about here is when we, we, we do the first two things and God says, I will help you through that, uh, through that plan of your life as well. I don't want my child to give up on God's purpose for their life. I'm not going to say much more about that this morning because we don't have time. <sighs> Finally, fourth wish. And this really goes back to the very goal of parenting, which we talked about before, which was this. To move our children from dependence upon us to dependence upon God. If that's the goal, which you write, many of you raised your, I told you it's coming to bite you. If you believe that's the goal, then this last one has to be the number one prayer you have in your life for your kids. I wish that my child would fully trust God. I wish that my child would fully trust God. That means it's called salvation. He, would make it, that he or she would make a decision somewhere along their lives, which they have to make. You cannot make it for them. That they have to make to trust God with their lives. For the direction of their lives, the plans for their lives, what they want to do with their lives. And if they're in the center of doing those things, then they'll, they'll be able to uh, live life fully. I want to tell you, as a parent, this is the area that totally... I feel totally out of control in because I realize that all I can do is lay the groundwork and they have to make the decision. Let me give you an example of that and we're going to close. Um, how many of you would admit that when you drive, when you go somewhere, you ha- you're the one that has to drive because just, just who, anybody here? Okay. I got my hand up. Okay. The rest of you, I don't know what's going on with you, but you're just not being honest this morning. But, you know, some of you just like to drive. I, you know, I really feel comfortable in driving because, you know, I feel like I'm a good driver. You can put your hands down now. Okay. Uh, you can put your hands down. Now, if you've ever done this thing where you've let somebody else drive and you've gone on a trip, how do you do? Uh, not long, you know, usually when we go on a trip to Virginia, which is 12 hours of driving. I don't drive the whole way. And I've had to, over a period of time uh, just give, relinquish control. It's a control issue. And, and, and I get in the car and I'll drive for several hours and I'll let my wife drive and then recently we let our son drive. And uh, <laughs> he's 20 now, so he can drive. He hasn't had a ticket or anything like that. So, so far, so good. Just don't do it this afternoon. And uh, the, the thing is, the thing is, is, is that, you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a car and somebody else is driving, those of you who are control freaks like me, I find myself sitting there with my, my wife, who I love very much. She's, 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 she's over here driving. I'm sitting there, and, and every once in a while, you know, I'm going, <laughs> and she's going, what are you doing? I'm, oh, I'm just stretching, just stretching. You know, I'm all right. Not try to put the brake on, the imaginary brake that's over there. It drives me crazy sometimes because, I mean, she drives incredibly well. And I'm the one that's had three tickets in my life. She's only had none, you know. But she doesn't drive the way I drive. You know, she doesn't drive the speed I drive. She doesn't drive like I drive. So I feel a little out of control. And if you understand that whole concept, you understand what it means to be a parent in regard to this issue of our children trusting God fully. Because if there's anything in my life that I would like to make my children do is to trust God fully. But you can't do it. They have to do it themselves. All we can do as parents is lay the groundwork, have a plan, understand that our purpose in parenting is to move from dependence upon us to dependence upon God. And the earlier we begin to do that, and the better we, the better it is. You know, if they get to 18 years old and they're still dependent upon you for everything, too bad, too late. 
We need to move our children along the path of learning to make decisions along the way in small areas where they can succeed or fail and let them do that so that they can learn that and become dependent upon first themselves and then upon God. And we have to have before them a plan where we get them into God's word. We keep them in church. We help them to look at their, their plans and God's plans and purposes for their life by looking at who they are. And then encouraging them along the way to never give up on the plan. And then saying to them this, you know, the way that you can fulfill God's plan for your life and never give up, the only way you can do that is for God to supernaturally come into your life and to help you. Because that's what it says here in Jeremiah 1 verses 9 and 10. It says, after all this, then the Lord reached out his hand, Jeremiah says, and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I'll appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Folks, the only way our children will, will live the life that God wants them to, which is the real life, is for them to come to the point of totally dependent upon God. You know, it's great to be a friend of your kids, but that's not your main goal of parenting. It's great that your kids will be happy, but your kids can be happy and be totally off track. It's more important that we allow our kids and point, we point our kids towards God and, and allow them to, 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 to grow in those areas. These are my four wishes for my kids. What are the wishes you have for your kids? If you were to fill, I left blanks this morning, you filled them in, maybe you go back and just erase them and say, okay, these are the same wishes I have. Is it, if people were to look at your life as a parent, would they say that's the four wishes you have for your kids by the way you live out your life as a parent? Because if you don't, guess what? It's not going to happen. They may, somebody else may influence your kids towards Christ, but you're the primary influencer in their lives, especially early on. It'll set the tone for their lives. Jeremiah wrote another book. It's called Lamentations. It's right after Jeremiah. And in this book, at the end of the book, is he's, he's grown up. He's, he's a man now. And, and he says these words. He says, this is kind of a plea, a cry to him. He says, arise, cry out of the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. He gives this visual picture of just pouring out his heart to God. And then he says this, lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children. You know, there's, only, there's one thing that I can do every day is to pray for my kids. And my prayer for my kids every day is not always, believe it or not, it's not always for safety. That's my first prayer. Then I'm going, okay, God, I realize that safety is not the most important thing. I don't want them to get hurt, but I want them to be people that depend upon you. So whatever that means for today, God, if they have to go through a bump in the road, they have to get over that bump, and they need to get on. If that bump's going to help them to depend upon you, and so be it. And that's a tough prayer to pray. But it's the only prayer that really makes sense in regard to God's purposes for us and for our kids. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.